And this is another episode of the show on a Wednesday. WNHH, New Haven Independent.org, 103.5 FMLP. My name is Michelle Turner, and in the studio with me are the gentlemen who have hit on something very special for New Haven, Connecticut. And they are the owners of the Beer Collective. So introduce yourselves, gentlemen. So my name is Torn Davis. I'm originally from Colorado, but I've made New Haven my home for about two years now, just over. And I've loved it so far. Reminds me a lot, actually, of home. Weather, a lot of stuff that's organic and local. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm uh, Craig Sklar, uh, the other owner. I uh, grew up in Guilford, Connecticut, not far from here. So been in Connecticut most of my life. And uh, yeah, now we're settled down in New Haven and uh, put together the uh, the beer collective for everyone to come down and hang out at. So what made this come together? What was it that made you all say, you know, this will be a good idea? Were you sitting around drinking beer I with mean, people? That is exactly <laughs> it, really. Like, I mean, I think Not drinking beers, <laughs> drinking beers was at the heart of us uh-huh. forming the beer collective. And uh-huh. we used to do these things called bottle shares, which are similar to wine tastings, where people will bring a bunch of different wines, drink a bunch of different styles, spit it into uh, some, spit it into some sort of bucket, yeah. and then just taste yeah. more wines. Except with beer shares, you don't really spit out the beer. No, you drink it, and we drink it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, we definitely drink. We definitely drink it, and that's how we met. That's originally where some of the ideas were. We were like, can we somehow recreate this similar type of vibe on a bigger scale, on something where we can make other people enjoy what we enjoy about craft beer? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we get started, close, Craig. We started drinking in the city. Uh, you know, I had been working for a beer distributor for a while and was trying to figure out a way to kind of leave that and start something uh, where I didn't have to answer to her boss. Uh-huh. Uh, and, you know, me and Torn are both very passionate beer people. We have drank a ton of beer together at that point. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and it was cool because, I mean, I was from out here, Torn was from Colorado, so we got to try a ton of stuff from Colorado and I got to introduce him to a ton of beer from out here. Uh, so there was, you know... A lot of drinking involved. And uh, <laughs> in one of those drinking sessions, we were like, hey, we should open a bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we did. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, it wasn't like we were just sitting there the whole time, slightly inebriated, like, hey, we should start a bar. There was definitely more Dude, thought, but right? at its heart, <laughs> at beer first was we definitely were, there. At first, we might have been inebriated, but it's fine. Yeah, maybe the first time, but we were thinking about locations, uh-huh. and Craig, being from this area, suggested New Haven. And I remember the first time I came out here... We went around. I just fell in love with it immediately. It was a really nice community. We thought yeah. we'd be able to add something that it didn't have so far, and we basically just went with it. Yeah. So, in choosing location, mm-hmm. because technically the location that you chose is sort of off the beaten path, right? It's not necessarily a place where you can just walk down the street and say, "Oh, I ran upon this beer place." You know, it's very kind of out of the way. So what made you decide that this was the place? Or was it cost? Was it an issue of, well, this piece of property is not necessarily something that's going for the other prices in downtown? I mean, I think it was, there was a lot of uh, aspects that went into the the final decision-making process for where the location was going to be. I mean, I think from the get-go, we we fell in love with New Haven. So it was about finding something in New Haven that worked for us. 
Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, cost is always going to be a factor mm-hmm. for sure. Um, you know, trying to be somewhere like right in Temple Street or right on College Street in the middle of downtown, the price is, you know, probably twofold. Um, so we looked for something that worked for us. And honestly, one of the big things that I immediately fell in love with with the space we chose uh, on Court Street was uh, the backyard, the patio. I yeah, know that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Like, when, we, we, when I first walked in there and saw the patio, that's yeah. I mean, that was it, the th- big thing that... Yeah, we, we started off drinking in the city a lot in bottle shares, but a lot of what we also did was going to patios in Brooklyn and backyards in Brooklyn mm-hmm. and drinking, and there's so yeah. many of those. And yeah. Once we walked into our backyard and, you know, there's the, the fire escape stairs kind of dropping down into it, it just it felt like a Brooklyn backyard to me. How, and many, that was a big how, how much square footage? What's the square feet of that? particular We're place just under 2000 inside and then we have about a 600 square foot patio um and so yeah roughly 2500 square feet plus mm-hmm. we do have a downstairs with some of the most unique bathrooms i'd say anyway <laughs> <laughs> i've never been downstairs so yeah i had to try the downstairs we've always gone upstairs. on the men's side especially we have toilets that we believe are like a hundred years old they're really they're, if you look at the age at which they built toilets like that right. it was over a hundred years ago wow and they're very old, uh, or they made out of ceramic. What? What? Yeah, would they be uh, they're some kind of, of. They're very large ceramic toilet set. <laughs> very <laughs> large, five very, feet tall. Yeah. Was, they're interesting, wow. and there were pieces that we felt like we couldn't get rid of. So. Yeah, <laughs> so you, you held on to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now I remember this building as having a life of a Miami vibe club called the Blue Pearl. <laughs> Yes, right? we've heard a lot and about And the, the floor was painted white. Wow. And they had um, very sheer curtains hanging up to sort of divide where your bar is now. That was the seating area. And where the seating yeah. area is, that was the bar. Yeah. So I distinctly remember that. Yeah, so I think you can still see on the floor almost like a stain of where the old bar was if you look really close. If you look close area. enough, right? And if you knew it well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So and and so how long did it take you to kind of say okay we're going to kind of set this up differently and how long did that take because the building had been shuttered right i mean so yeah immediately we knew we wanted to set it up differently to our liking when we wanted to do a craft beer bar our way and with what we had enjoyed in the bars we visited a lot in new york we knew we wanted a lot of repurposed wood if we could have an exposed brick that'd be great if not Right. No worries, but we wanted it to have that kind of old home feel where there's mm-hmm. a lot of natural wood, mm-hmm. a lot of natural color, a lot of stuff like that. Warmth, so you know? Warmth. Yes, yeah. that's a good word for it. And so we knew immediately we wanted to change around the room a lot. And I mean, I'll let Craig talk a little bit about how much time it took and whatnot, but it took us a good <laughs> amount of time and we changed. In the actual bar space on the main floor, I don't think there's anything that we didn't change everything we is basically remodeled. the same as far as the flooring and the flooring well so we uh, sanded we stained we did <laughs> look at craig's face it he's was, like no it was horrible. It was, <laughs> yeah nothing <laughs> is the same. <laughs> nothing at all is the same basically it was a lot of work but i think we made something that we liked and people who yeah. come in they seem to like it as well yeah yeah we definitely ripped that place to pieces <laughs> <laughs> um but there was also there was uh uh michael's and something sons i think uh, michael's Itali- downtown michael's downtown italian mm-hmm. restaurant that was in there right after blue pearl uh, i mean otherwise i don't know the miami beach vibe lounge could have worked <laughs> <laughs> and and for the most part i i thought it did because people were always there when i went there yeah. it's pretty it was crowded a very interesting look definitely. yeah it would have 
I'm not and sure how it would have vibed with the craft beer culture, to be honest. But people, you know, it would have been who interesting. Told us about the location, they always knew Blue Pearl. They weren't as familiar with Michael's downtown. I don't think it got to be there long enough. There was yeah. a flood that hit the building. I think on the third floor, a water heater burst, and it was on a day where Michael's was closed, oh. so it was flooded for 24 hours before anyone even noticed. Ooh. Bunch of damage, bunch of damage, and uh, so yeah, they were put out a little early. But yeah, everyone who's everyone's talked interestingly about the blue Pearl. Oh, yeah. like, not everyone's necessarily i wouldn't say negative i was like oh yeah that place was weird interesting like i heard they did fondue it sounds interesting i would have it really was an interesting place heyday, it was but... it was an interesting place in its heyday because oh, yeah. it you know they were trying to pr- to promote this like very chilled out very you know place where you could be an adult and you know kind of relax and not really you know have the same kind of vibe as you would in your so-called typical club. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that was the whole idea. At least I thought so. Yeah. And I was very surprised when it closed because, again, every time that I went, it's pretty packed. Yeah. So I will you just say, never know. One of the more interesting stories I heard about the Blue Pearl was about the closing. Ah. And I cannot confirm or deny if this is true, <laughs> but I was told on the last day they were open that the owner was there handing out wrenches and hammers and telling people to smash wow. the car out of that place before they left. So I've, I've heard that they destroyed it on their way out, but I don't know if that's true or not. If, true if or it not. was true, I'm like, man, I wish I was there. That would be a really fun way to close down a well, bar. Well, it was a way to, to introduce you guys coming in, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Cleared everything out for us. It was nice. The end of the old start of a new, I guess. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So talk a little bit about the choice of beer. And I want us to go back into the conversation about... Budweiser mm-hmm. that we had and you know as opposed mm-hmm. to the IPAs and all of that so talk about the choice of beer that you have and why you're doing that because everything is yeah. local yeah so oh, yeah. just about everything is local we try to have as much local as possible but sometimes we'll fill in other styles or there's various classics from either Europe or even made across country that we'll also bring in from time to time but I'd say the number one word I'd use to describe our list and how we look at beer is curated in the sense we try to always have... Now, what does that mean? When I say that, I we have a list where we only try to have 16 lines because we like a lot of rotation in the lines. Okay. If beer's sitting on taps for too long, it eventually goes stale. It won't necessarily hold as long, and we want to be able to have a lot of variety in our mm-hmm. choices. So mm-hmm. we there's a lot of breweries in the country now. There's almost 6,000, um, wow. maybe even more than 6,000. Small breweries? Small breweries, microbreweries. Wow. So there's a lot of choices, and uh-huh. we try to have a very select group that includes a lot of local, um, and then just basically high-quality beers that from producers we know who respect the liquid, and all craft. So we only serve beer that is at least majority craft owned and most is going to be very local within IPAs, which are the more popular style right now. Yeah. We go basically extremely hyper local. I'd say outside of the new England area. So if you included like, let's say upstate New York, maybe New York proper up to Vermont, almost every IPA that we serve will be from those areas mm-hmm. with the rare exception. I can think of a few exceptions, but for the most so part, how long does an IPA hold up when you start to talk about, Things going stale and being so on tap too long. Most brewers mm-hmm. try to give, is it 120 days, roughly? I mean, yeah. I mean, most nation, uh, you know, breweries that are distributing nationwide will give their IPA somewhere between 90 and 150 days. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually somewhere around 120. I know Stone, which is one of the big guys that sends a lot of IPAs around, 
uh, as well as like Lagunitas. Lagunitas might actually do six months. Um, some guys will go as much as six months, but really, you know, you, 120 days is kind of standard for craft breweries. And the way, you know, IPAs are being boosted these days, especially the New England style where they're very Which are hazy. The most and popular style going. Yeah, really? The most popular style. Mm-hmm. What makes IPAs. it so popular? If uh, That's the sidebar here. What makes it popular? Uh, it's the accessibility to them, right? You know, so many people look at IPAs and they think bitter, grassy, mm-hmm. you know, West Coast, very piney, bitter IPAs, which is very different than what New England IPAs are. They're very fruit forward. Um, they use you know, wheat or flaked wheat or flaked oats to basically hold the hops in suspension mm-hmm. um, so that you get these very intense, like, pineapple, papaya, melon, you know, citrus flavors. So you really get the really citrus flavors. Change the mm-hmm. whole flavor profiles on IPAs so that mm-hmm. you, you're not getting these bitter, kind of yeah. grassy beers that some people don't really appreciate. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you so you remember the old Keystone Light commercials, beer, <laughs> right. beer phase, yeah. you know, people don't like that. I love those commercials. New England IPAs <laughs> taste like juice half the time so yeah. people drink them like it's juice the ones that are most desired taste exactly like that like juice and a lot of the people who's, who go into bars and they're like oh i don't like hoppy beer i could give them a new england ipa and mm-hmm. they would absolutely love it. they'd be like oh wow yeah this is really good i'll take another one of those non-hoppy beers and they're drinking all the time. an ipa and so they're a really good introductory beer but at the same time a lot of the beer aficionados really like the flavors that that provides too so yeah which it's, is it's interesting. Like, there's a lot of people who are kind of fighting the movement towards a style, and I think there's definitely room for both. There's uh-huh. room for the hoppier, bitter uh-huh. beers that are traditionally thought of as, um, like, clear, filtered IPAs, and there's room for some of these newer ones that don't have the shelf life of the old ones, which can be problematic and why we try to rotate a lot. But, yeah. like, there's room for both, and there's room for a lot in beer, I'd oh, say. Yeah. And I think it's funny, too, because a lot of people that come in and they ask for, like, not hoppy beers, and we try them on these New England IPAs, but New England IPAs probably have four or five or six times as much hops as the traditional IPA. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. It's just yeah. when you have that much of it, you actually get a much more realistic flavor profile of the hop, which is why you're getting so much more of these fruit flavors, because... Hops are typically a very fruity and oily plant that gives a lot of those flavors off. I was getting ready to say, and it probably holds that flavor, right? Uh, well, the, I mean, the problem with hops is that the oil residue will start to dissolve after three weeks, maybe okay. four weeks. So okay. that's why, you know, especially with these New England IPAs, I mean, the shelf lives on them are shorter, right? That sweet spot for these guys is going to be between two and four weeks. So that gives you a two-week window to try mm, to sell these beers. Okay. Um, and now people will pour them past that and, you know, we'll pour them up to two months probably, but... After after that, after five or six weeks, you're going to start to significantly yeah. see changes in the way the beer tastes. And depending on the brewer, I've had some great breweries where I've had their beer a month and a half, two after it was brewed, and it just didn't taste the same. Completely it was clearly beer. it was clearly meant to be drank earlier, mm-hmm. which is going to be different than a lot of the other styles where certain beers certain beers are meant to last somewhere around a month some of the new england ipas that have a lot of protein still within the beer other beers like regular ipas maybe up to that uh six months like certain breweries and then there's going to be other beers that we also offer that are good for years that are better aged so there's certain beers generally if they're going to be higher in alcohol um or Mm -hmm. if they're like wildly fermented which is a totally different animal yeah then over time similar to wine they grow they oxidize and will have different flavors that are more desirable or they'll just grow and the, they'll have live active yeast that will be fermenting the actual bottle or device holding the beer. And it'll taste different, maybe a little bit softer, maybe not as acidic over time. And those are all flavors that people really like. So it's important to try to get that beer 
to you all as soon as possible, right? Generally. Generally, yeah. Generally, yes. Because if not, it can't sit and exactly. wait. Exactly. Especially for the be- yeah. like for the IPAs that people love. Those ones hops. we want hops. As soon we as. As soon as possible. As yeah. soon as. The less hoppy a beer or the higher in alcohol, the more we might be able to do some stuff like some of the cooler events I've been to will actually do beers where they'll be like, oh, we're offering a 2015, um, we'll, we're offering a 2015 Dogfish Head 120 minute uh, beer, which is going to be a beer that is 18% ABV. And over, what like, does that mean? Alcohol per volume. So it's alcohol, okay. like to put it in perspective, a lager is generally going to be around four and a half to 5% ABV. So it's three and a half to four times stronger than the typical beer that people are used to drinking. So Literally a glass of it, when you first have it, it's barely drinkable to people who aren't used to it. <laughs> it's like drinking one and a half glasses of wine. It's got some heat, it's once. got a little booze to it. A little yeah. bit of booze, you can say. Yeah. So yeah. some of those beers, when you first have them, they're actually going to be too boozy. And the, when you try to drink them, it's just going to taste like you're drinking like fire. Right. But if you give them a few years, they oxidize a bit. You get a little bit more of that like caramelized, figgy flavor. And mm-hmm. that can sometimes make a beer a lot better. Yeah, as those flavors develop, sometimes mm-hmm. they'll cover the booziness or the heat, so it kind of creates a more drinkable, more enjoyable mm-hmm. experience. Um, but yeah, I mean, timing with beers is definitely, I think, very important. From IPAs needing to be drink fresh to, uh, you know, some sours being, you know, you could age some sours and some wildly fermented beers for years and years and years. Um and, and it's always a preference thing, right? You're seeing now a lot of uh, what they're calling pastry stouts where they're adding vanilla and cinnamon and all mm. kinds of different adjuncts. And with those, I feel like you might want to drink them kind of on the fresher side. Yeah. But the standard yeah. rule of thinking for big bourbon barrel-aged stouts is you can age it for as long as you want, mm-hmm. right? Because they're only going to get better. That booze is going to kind of dissipate a little bit and you're going to have like a melding of the flavors kind of. And you'll see flavors develop more so that cover up that booziness so it becomes a much more richer, silkier, caramelized, complex beer. So, when we were talking earlier, Mm -hmm. we were talking about the difference between Budweiser and an IPA. And you all had really interesting things to say about that. Yeah, we can touch on those a little bit. I think we had kind of started off talking about how... Budweiser's big goal is to produce the exact same beer everywhere in the world. So if Correct. you go to Japan, if you go to London, if you go to New York, LA, I mean, wherever you go, you're going to get a Budweiser. It's going to taste like a Budweiser. Um, and that is something that they strive for and a goal they have to. And something we had kind of touched on was what Kraft is kind of doing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And where we what we try to focus on at the bar and with the Kraft focus is a lot more localized more of a hand-touched approach, similar to how food is going. Like if you look at, let's say, New Haven, Elm City Market, or at any of the Whole Foods, we're trying to go to a more organic, localized approach. And a lot of brewers are doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I think the brewers we were talking about earlier, like specifically Kim Falls Brewing, which we try to generally have at the Beer Collective, and um, they're a brewery out of King, Connecticut, and they strive for as much local as much local ingredients as possible. So for mm-hmm. instance, they have certain beers they're doing now where they have hops that grow at at their own farm, the Camps Road Farm in Kent. Wow. They have That blows my mind. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's a great place. <laughs> so Definitely worth too, a visit. Yeah. Is, it's very interesting and like they're very ambitious doing this because obviously hops don't grow as well here as they would in say the Pacific Northwest Correct. where most of the best hops grow. So they have some of their own hops and other hops that they get locally, and they'll do beers where everything is local and everything is basically within a 
hundred mile radius of their brewery slash farm. So mm-hmm. they'll get as many local hops as possible, as many local grains as possible, right. as many local malts as possible, and they'll make a beer that you that tastes like New England. And yep. there's just no way. And, and explain like, what New England tastes like, because I think before delicious. we said, <laughs> <laughs> well, we, that yeah. we definitely well, know. They just, we they, know it's delicious. Basically, when you're walking outside and you smell the air, you smell, you smell. Especially over in an area like Litchfield County, where there's right. a lot of farmland, you get some of that natural flavor. Kent Falls, yeah. I believe they procure a lot of their own yeasts they that they get in the area. And when you drink their beer, it's like you taste it, and you t- it tastes almost like you're there. Where like if you taste their beer and you've never been to Kent, uh, Kent Falls, first time you go, you'll go to Kent Falls and be like, I've I definitely, yeah, I've had yeah. this before. It's and, just like one of those things. You walk into yeah. it, you smell it, you taste it, you know where it's coming from just from that like the beer tastes like that area it's right like, right and there's just a lot of things you can do with a craft brewery that you couldn't do at a massive scale whereas Budweiser's goal is to make the exact same beer and make it throughout the world a brewery like Kim Falls their goal is to make something that they think they would enjoy that they'd like to be drinking on a day-to-day basis try to make it local try to do something right. very very unique and mm-hmm. oftentimes you just don't have enough ingredients they don't have there's no way They'd be able to do one of their beers that's all locally grown ingredients um, on a massive scale. Or mm-hmm. one of the other breweries we were talking about was Fox Farm and some of the stuff they're doing now. Yeah, and they're doing, like, I mean, along those same lines, they love using local ingredients. And what's really cool about them is, uh, you know, Zach and Dave uh, Adams, the two owners, um, Zach's wife actually lives, you know, I- I'm not actually 100% sure how far away, but it's, you know, within a quarter of a mile or so, they have a vineyard there that uh, his wife's family has owned for a long time and is producing grapes and they're mm-hmm. using those grapes in their beer so the, you know it's fascinating because uh, you wouldn't think of pairing that or even you know the beer so being, i mean the base the of like, beer it's a, a lot crossover of, my that's... mom doesn't even think she will not drink beer at all and i've tried to give her samples of different beers because i know if she just drinks certain drinks she likes wine enough to where i could find some beer to fit her palate she wouldn't drink it but most people's perception of what beer is just isn't the full picture there's a lot of breweries like Fox Farm, they're doing beers where they have red wine grapes in the beer. Wow. And local red wine grapes at that. Mm-hmm. And you just can't do that if you're trying to make a beer that appeases every palate. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, 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 they're not for everybody, I would say. You know, they definitely are. They have like a wine beer kind of hybrid thing going on with some of the beers they produce, which is really interesting. And for guys that like sour beers, they're going to really love it. And for wine drinkers, mm-hmm. they're going to find something that they've probably never had before that they right. probably right. find incredibly interesting, which is mm-hmm. really cool to see. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's something you'll you'll never see in a scale like Budweiser because Budweiser's goal, again, is consistency across you know continents, which is, you know, it's cool and impressive, but something craft beer does that is so different is using localized ingredients and using localized yeast strains and the microflora in the areas to create beers that are, you know, more specific to area similar to like you know champagne is made in france right well uh for beer right. we, you know we have gooses which are you know blended three-year oak age beers that are only produced in brussels and belgium um and you also have so many other beers that are just localized to regions Cultures and region specific yeah. that you know budweiser doesn't really take into account you know they just want consistency and right. craft, so much about craft beer is tasting the difference and seeing what's different and seeing what different regions are making that's different than you know what new england's brewing what california's brewing what north carolina and boulder and seattle like there's so Mm -hmm. many different beer meccas especially in this uh country now that all all producing different styles of beer and 
there's no reason that you know you can't go to a hundred different places and try a hundred different styles of beer. Yeah. You don't always want the same thing in every state. Right. And then the other thing that I think is really cool is us being we're kind of we were kind of the new guy on the block when we came right. in. And it right. was basically just Craig and I who we hand built a lot of the bar. We obviously had wow. people who helped, but we did a lot of work there. Now, we were is there do either of you have a background in food and beverage or you just said we're gonna do this? Uh, I mean, I have a background in beverage. I sold alcohol for a long time. I've worked in retail establishments in both Connecticut. I worked at Coastal Wine and Spirits. A little shout out. <laughs> uh, in Bradford, hey, yo. Connecticut. Yeah, right. Um, I worked there for a long time when I was in high school, and that's where I first started kind of getting into craft beer. Uh, and then I worked for Whole Foods in their uh, little like tasting room bar thing where yeah, we had yeah. growlers for sale and we had tons of craft beer. That's where I think I really fell in love with craft beer. Um, and then, you know, I have minimal experience doing some bartending and some catering stuff uh, and a ton of distribution experience working for a distributor. But, I mean, ultimately, we figured our passion for beer and yeah. our understanding, I mean, between me and Torn, we've been to, I don't even know how many different states, countries, breweries, where we've tried to put together the, the really cool things that we've seen mm -hmm. in all these different places in our establishment here in New Haven. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I and think like... Being able to just similarly work with some of these other, some of the, what we consider the best. And even in Connecticut, there's what, like 60 breweries now. Mm -hmm. And wow. we want to be able to work with a lot of these smaller guys. That's yeah. kind of how I look at it. There's farm, there's like a farm to table movement. And I almost like to think of ourselves as like a beer to table where yes. we try to go, we try to find as many localized brewers who we think are doing very quality liquid. We try to be able to feature a lot of them. And we try to make sure that we have good food that kind of matches with that as well. So... Explain the difference, because I and I know this conversation is all over the place, but that's usually yeah, how we yeah. roll. Yeah, that's how um, my brain is. Too, <laughs> I know. We can roll with that. That's fine. Y'all are good with that. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. All right. So explain. I I don't want to call them categories, but for instance, you talk about IPA, you talk about a larger, you talk about different. What what makes them different what's what's the difference between an ipa and and a lager beer or any of the other beers that you um carry is it alcohol oh, content uh, is it hops yeah it's mostly ingredients it's going to be i mean so the the four main ingredients in beer are going to be the malts the hops the yeast and the water right those mm -hmm. four those are the four those main are the main things yeah. and if you go to germany they have the reinstergold which is the uh german purity laws which are i'm not going to remember the year they were written <laughs> it was in the i want to say the 1500s um but they basically say you can use those four ingredients and that's it um now obviously that has changed dramatically but i mean those are the four main things that are going to affect flavor right so you're going to get the the color and the richness and like the almost the texture of the beer for mm -hmm. beer from the grains so if you use very low roasted malts, you're going to have lighter in color, pale ales, lagers, things like that. If you roast the malts longer, you're going to get darker, browner, you know, okay. amber, Roastier, and then eventually yeah. you'll get chocolate and then black malts. And that's how you get, so it's all, it's like a roasting scale essentially of the malts is what's really going to give the majority of that light versus dark flavor. Okay. Uh, and then, you know, hops, yeast have huge So are IPAs well. light? Or can they be dark? Or is that just a uh, designation? They can be either. It's just, how, well, one, how they are fermented. Like certain beers are fermented at different temperatures. Generally, lagers are fermented uh, for longer at colder temperatures. Mm -hmm. um, whereas IPAs generally fermented for less time at a slightly higher temperatures. Um, so it's a little quicker. Yes. Yeah, it's quicker. Yes. And just, it's quite a bit quicker. But um, in terms of what will make an IPA versus like, let's say, a pale ale, generally it's going mm -hmm. to be 
the addition of hops, how many hops are put in, okay. the level of hops, the level of bitterness. Um, there's a bitterness scale, uh, IBU, International Bitterness Unit, that is really? going to... Yeah, and that's going to feature a lot of what's going to be the difference between an IPA and a traditional pale ale, uh, although the lines blur a lot. They really do for those yeah. specific styles. Yeah. But so when someone says, especially when you look at um, some of the beers that people say they don't like, they're used to beers that were heavily bittered, beers that would have a 60 IBU or higher. Mm-hmm. And nowadays, there's certain beers that are still considered IPAs that have no IBUs, but they're still considered IPAs because all of the actual hop additions were done uh, post, like in the uh, whirlpool, like pro- post actual boil. Uh-huh. So it's so the beer itself isn't going to be bitter, but it's going to be having some uh, aromatics from the hops, I guess okay. you would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, so there's going to be quite a bit that's going to change style. Whereas like with, let's say a stout that a lot of the people who like, who think of dark beer, mm-hmm. those beers are going to have a lot darker malt. They're still going to have some addition of hops, some addition of all of the other things, but then there might be something else added. The amount of sugars you put in beer is going to. So what- is, is that sort of, when you say that, is that sort of along the lines of a Guinness, Guinness stout? Somewhat. Yes. But I think people's perception of Guinness and like, dark beer stout kind of distorts a lot of the other darker beers because Guinness is actually pretty light for a dark beer okay. in terms of taste, in terms of uh, its cal- calories, in terms of everything about it. It's going to be on the lighter scale as opposed to certain beers like Imperial Stouts that are going to be oftentimes more bitter, oftentimes a lot roastier, a lot chocolatier. A lot heavier. A lot heavier, yeah. exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. But people, they think of dark beers and they think right. of Guinness and Guinness isn't really that heavy overall no it's got a fairly light body you know mm-hmm. something that kind of gives it that feeling of heft is the, you know the nitrogen pour you know guinness is typically poured in an all nitrogen line whereas most other beers are poured on a blend of nitrogen and co2 mm-hmm. um so that will kind of give a beer more of a creamy rich feeling when you pour it on nitrogen uh which is you know something guinness does consistently but yeah cons- guinness i mean you drink it out of the can out of the bottle into a glass and it. It's got like almost a thinner kind of mouthfeel to it. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel as like velvety and silky. Uh, it kind of just like feels and thin and then dissipates. And there's Heineken Dark also, right? Yeah, Heineken Dark, I believe, is just a dark lager, a Cascadian yeah. lager, uh, which typically means they'll take a, a, a you know your standard lager recipe, which would be mostly blonde, mostly on the light side, and they'll okay. throw in a little bit of darker specialty malts, like a chocolate malt or like a black patent malt. Just to kind of give it a little bit of that roastiness, a little hint of bitterness, mm-hmm. but really they want to get that color and that little bit of roastiness uh, and the like hints of chocolate uh, to it, um, which is you know one of those ways that you can use malts to really impact the flavor of beer. Now, beer is a very complex world. It's a very it sounds trying like to make it. the formulas of what makes a beer this or that. It's very hard because they change all the time. Beer is just growing exponentially. Like when we first were writing our business plan. Two and a half, three years ago, there were under there were under forty breweries in Connecticut, and now there's maybe even under thirty. Yeah, it um, might have been under thirty. Might have been under thirty. So we've basically doubled since we started planning this bar. Oh yeah, and there's and still a bunch more. To stylistically, come. beers have changed. What people have liked mm-hmm. have changed, mm-hmm. and then people are like, you know, I kind of like this mixed with a little bit of that, and then yeah. someone's like, you know, I'm going to find a way to make it work, and we get really weird hybrids that <laughs> where someone's like, you know what? So I, what's people, the strangest? Uh, depends on how strange you want to find beers. People are actually shoving the weirdest things in beers now. Like, there's actually a 12% beer project. They shoved a bunch of French fries and hamburger bun patties what? into the fermenter. Um, yep. 
and they made a beer they made an ipa um what was its name hilma uh, yeah hilma was yeah. that one they also did the uh they did that collaboration beer with the veil called fried fried chicken chicken where they threw in a whole bunch of fried chicken yeah and so then that's a, something yeah. you like. That is, <laughs> I mean, I love that is the wildest thing I've ever heard. There's a style that's actually become pretty, it's pretty well accepted and common. The oyster stout, where oyster oftentimes, stout. and I've heard of that as well. Yeah. yeah. So you can put a lot of weird, weird combinations in like breweries all the time. There's this, there's this ongoing argument amongst beer nerds uh-huh. of what is a good beer and what isn't. And a lot of people don't like a lot of these additions because a lot of a lot of the best beers they're like you know what I like how some of these chocolate malts give this flavor or if it's mm-hmm. aged in a bourbon barrel it might get a little bit of vanilla so right. certain brewers will be like you know what let's just throw a bunch of vanilla like let's just throw a bunch of vanilla extract into this beer and see what comes of it mm-hmm. and there have been some very good beers made that way but then and people will love them but then it seems like every brewer now is like you know what people like extreme taste they want to they want to be drinking a chocolate shake they want to be drinking this let's shove a bunch of this oh they like strawberry shakes let's stru- shove a bunch of strawberries mm-hmm. in, into this and there's a lot of beer now that has very very weird generally 10 years ago brewers would be pulling their hair out and like they'd be grounding their children for thinking these ideas basically yeah i mean we we were talking about the reinsigl the the german yeah. purity laws where they literally only used four ingredients yeah now people are like i don't care i'll, I'll just I'll put it in there it doesn't matter it like. yeah that's that's very different that's very different and i'd say as a whole there's like somewhat of a balance between because i gotta admit some of those beers taste very good and I can understand why people would do them. Um, there's an appeal for sure. There's definitely an appeal. They're not necessarily everyday drinking beers. Right, and right. There's something to just the classic old beer. And I think I think a lot of the dispute that's going on currently in the market is people who enjoy the classic taste of beer. And they're like, this is the beer that I enjoy. Why doesn't anyone make it anymore? Because mm-hmm. a lot of other people are trying to capitalize on these new trends in beer. And beer's like any other industry where certain things go up certain things go down yeah ipas are popular now if you go back 10 years ago belgian styles are popular um oh, various yeah. other beers are much more popular whereas mm-hmm. now it's like a lot of ipas in 10 years Who i don't knows? even know it could be uh, i mean could I, be loggers i have i, I think it will be a lot i mean we're, we're yeah. are you a moving towards shift towards back i was going to lager, say are they right? moving toward that now moving yes. towards more drinkability so yes. i remember so growing up in colorado one of the interesting things is it's a very craft beer centric state. Like mm-hmm. I remember when I'd be having college parties, we instead of getting like a keg of Bud Light, we'd be getting kegs of Fat Tire or something mm-hmm. that was already craft beer. So I basically lived my entire life drinking exclusively <laughs> craft. And um, still at the same time, though, uh, at that when I first got into beer, I was looking more at ABV, and I was like, oh, you know what I realized I like? I like beers that are like nine percent ABV or more. I mm-hmm. drink less of them. I get drunk easier, and then it's a, it's a little bit cheaper for me. Right. Plus, I just right. like these extreme flavors. Mm-hmm. And then I moved on to where I was like, okay, now I like a little bit more subtlety. And I think a lot of other people are similar, where like beers, double IPAs are still very popular, but the yes. old double IPA back in the day was like 9%, 10% ABV. Now those beers are like 75 8% ABV. And it's wow. oftentimes you find the same beer just at a lower ABV. So like now what people are calling IPAs, they used to be calling pale ales and what used to be pale ales are now session IPAs because just the term IPA just, sells. Yeah. It's, it's flipped itself. Yeah. yeah. You figure out how to put IPA into the name of any beer. <laughs> so, and, and, and it sells, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What does IPA stand for? By the way, uh, India pale ale. 
Okay. Yeah, I mean, it came about from a style because, I mean, the first times I ever put hops in a beer were when they were shipping beers overseas, and they were using hops as a preservative. Okay. So it was meant to preserve the the beer, and then they started realizing, oh, these hops are imparting a lot of flavors onto the beer, and that we kind of like them, and then they started making them with hops. Yeah. Uh, but initially, it was used as a preservative, and that's... How, where it came from. Yeah. So, yeah, like they were trying to ship beer, I think it was from, what was it, the UK to India? And yeah, I think that was... India, sure to, Euro- India to Europe, for sure. Yeah. Maybe it was that way, yeah. Yeah. Hot or cold? Beer? There's some people who drink their beer warm, and they swear that's the best way to drink it. And then there's other people who are like, I want a cold beer. Depends on the beer. Yeah. Depends on the place. Depends the on style. a lot, but... For me, um, I'd say st- like stouts, bigger, heavier beers. You generally want to warm a little bit. Like you mm-hmm. get a lot of flavors that you can't taste when they're cold, and mm-hmm. you give the beer a little bit of time to breathe, a little bit of time to get to room temperature. Other beers you're going to want to have cold lagers, easier drinking beers. Similar to wine, like white wine, you generally want to have chilled. Yeah. Reds, you generally keep at room temperature, and it's similar. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the 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 coldness definitely numbs your tongue to certain flavors and things like that. So with like bigger beers like that, more beers where you're trying to pick up on subtleties like wild ales or like, you know, blended sours and lambics and things like that. Uh, you're going to want them a little bit warmer just to pick up on all the subtlety and all the little like flavors and hints that they're trying to yeah. come across. But yeah, again, with like lagers and stuff, you know, you just, you were sometimes you just want a cold beer. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, you know, beer. there's nothing yeah, a hot better. Summer day. Yeah. Or I was going to say, cold beer. Yeah. you want a cold beer on a real hot summer day or you've done something like, my first experience with beer was my father had a Schaefer in the refrigerator <laughs> and I washed his car, right? Yeah. I was hot as all get out. And I said, well, you know, people say a cold beer will kind of get rid of the thirst. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know anything about beer. It's like 18 years old. Yeah. At that time in Connecticut, I was, I could legally drink at 18. Mm-hmm. So, I drank this beer and I'm like, this is the best thing ever. <laughs> Who thought of this? <laughs> I want to say the first beer I actually drank, I was not much of a fan of. Yeah, but, really? Yeah. I don't remember. I think it was, I remember it was when I was younger and yeah. that taste, I just, for me, I remember <sighs> tasting what now I probably enjoy, but I got like a lot of the grain and a lot of, a lot of uh-huh. like, it tasted What's what I'm like almost weedy and it was just I didn't I didn't like the taste at, at all. all. And it was something that I'm like, oh well I guess I'm not gonna like beer. And then like a couple <laughs> years later I'm like, I guess I was an idiot. And, yeah. Yeah. Like beer is awesome. Beer is pretty I cool. You're listening to the show on WNHHLP one oh three point five FM, broadcasting live from downtown New Haven. We're streaming live on TuneIn Radio and NewHavenIndependent.org. We're also on live video on Facebook. All you have to do is go to facebook.com slash New Haven Independent or go to your own Facebook page and look us up. And if you go to my page, Michelle Turner, it should be streaming, but that might be later on today. But Harry will have it posted on WNHH. So go check it out right now. Do it. But in the studio with me, are the gentlemen who own the Beer Collective in downtown New Haven. Wall Street? What street? Court. 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 Mm-hmm. I always want to call it Wall. Court. <laughs> Court Street. Wall's I the know other it. way. We're like, yeah, this is uh, the other way. Yeah. So, 
we can't talk about your place without talking about the food oh, yeah. because mm-hmm. the food is fabulous if you don't drink beer which we want you to when you come there right mm-hmm. but the food is just great how do you come up with the menu and does it pair with you know do you i would say of course you keep in mind what people are doing there which is they want something to go with their beer right for the most part yeah, yeah. So I think first we have to give shout outs to our chefs, Rob Matonica, yes. who's our executive chef. Woo! Very young, very yeah. brilliant. And Trevor Rykowski, who's our sous. Both of them do a lot and do the vast majority of the menu design. Uh-huh. They have the flavor palettes and ideas on how to make food. Mm-hmm. They know what they can and can't get in within the kitchen. And we just smile and we're like, okay, <laughs> this sounds good. We like like this sounds eat. delicious. Has there and ever been anything that you didn't like or said, well, uh, you know, this might we'll not be for us? We'll give small comments here and there. But yeah. for the most part, the vast majority of the menu is driven by them, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, they mm-hmm. are, I mean they're both very talented and very passionate about food. So it's, I think we got very lucky in kind of finding these two guys when we did find them. Uh, and they've done tremendous jobs with the menus that i mean you guys can come in every day and eat and mm-hmm. then we also do these paired dinners with uh breweries that we call beer dinners and we'll we'll cover oh, them when are you doing that uh so we do them you know once a month every other month sometimes depends on the Am time I on of year your mailing list uh, i want to say be. i mean you're you're yeah, gonna yeah. Be i should be right yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. but yeah I'd, I'd like to Oh, yeah, the beer dinners are a lot of fun. Yeah. These mm-hmm. guys put together incredible menus for them every time. And, you know, we'll work with the brewery. They'll bring in six beers, and we'll give the guys five beers to work with, and they'll uh-huh. pair five courses to these beers. And they've Nice. Yeah. Phenomenal jobs, and we've been able to bring in more breweries that just love working with us on these kinds of projects. And just, I mean, for us, it's so exciting. Yeah. Can the menu. I we'll say... talk a little bit about what, like, how they decide to brew the beer they did. Yeah. And then we talk about what it was in the beer that we or like the rob will talk about what he found in the beer that he wanted to pair and accentuate or uh-huh. how he thought this would go with the beer and we actually do have another one coming up pretty soon yeah um june 3rd is going to be our next beer dinner oh, We're gonna okay be doing it with lasting brass brewery out of a uh, watertown connecticut or oakville connecticut Oakville, Waterbury. and they're right over the border of Waterbury. yeah yeah and yeah they make a lot of very good beers ed is um, similar to us just He's just started out, started out around the same time as us and makes a lot of very high quality beer mm-hmm. and uh, like us just cares a lot about everything that he puts into it. He cares about cares about it more than anyone else I know mm-hmm. and does great beers of all styles: IPAs, lagers, sours, saisons, um, and stouts. Even I think his stout game is very underrated, considering mm. he's no more for his IPAs or probably sours. Yeah. yeah. So people are looking yeah, more yeah. toward that, right? Yeah, so like we're going to have six of his beers on and oh. a variety of styles. You get you get varying sizes of each along with a course that will pair with it and mm-hmm. I'm very excited for it. Yeah, it should be should be a really good dinner. I mean, Ed is a fantastic brewer like Torn was saying. He's very passionate and very caring about everything uh-huh. he puts into his beer which just comes through tremendously in any time you taste his stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're just excited that he wants to work with us and He's hooking us up with some very interesting beers, which should make for a really fun dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that one will be great. We have another dinner coming up after that, too. So we're just trying to, you know, work with some of the local guys that we're really a big fan of on those dinners and schedule yeah. some stuff while the students are still in before summer and have some stuff for them when they get back. So let me just say, 
If you don't serve anything else, mm-hmm. keep serving that catfish. It's staying that on the menu. That catfish is stellar. It's so good. It, it is, is maybe stellar. my most. It's maybe the thing I get the most. I try to get oh. it sometimes just the catfish without the chips, just because yeah. <laughs> eating fish chips every day all the time. <laughs> it's done enough to my stomach, and like now, now. I'm trying to make sure to. We're doing the New Haven Brew Race at the end of uh, August. We have a team yeah. that we're sponsoring, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and yeah. I've generally not been a fan of running my life. But I'm like, I've or eaten too much catfish, so <laughs> they're basically making me do it, and I'm like, fine with it because I know that I could definitely hey, use you it. Could, you could, you could definitely use it. It'll be good. A little training, yeah. a little running, definitely never hurt anybody. Yeah, never, never hurt. Never do anything bad. <laughs> but yeah, no. I mean, the mm-hmm. catfish is phenomenal. My move is always every once in a while I'll get the catfish on top of a salad because I can't eat the fries. But, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, the fries are so good. Yeah, it is such good. a pleasure to go in there and eat yeah. and have a good beer and, mm-hmm. you know, just have that conversation. I've yet to sit outside on the porch. Oh, you got But I guess enough. that's the goal. Soon, soon enough. Very soon. That's yeah. the goal to get yeah. out there. Some people did so, I think it was last Friday, there were a good amount of people. Yeah, because it was, it was pretty it nice. The weather was great. And today people tried. Like, There's some brave souls that went out there It today. was windy. I was like, well, good luck. Like, <laughs> we'll go out there and serve you. But like, I made sure to put the menus inside of our heavier menus. Right. Like, These are going to blow away. Right. Today wasn't the best day for the port, yeah, but for soon the, enough. It's, soon I and feel the day coming any day. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's April... 18th That's now. my birthday in like a week, <laughs> and I'm hoping that it's going to be good so I can drink on the patio for my birthday. Right, for least, your birthday. But, Absolutely. Yeah. You having mm-hmm. a party? Uh, Kind of. So we're going to yes. be tapping some special kegs for my birthday. I have oh, a couple of, nice. There have been a couple of very good kegs that we've yeah. been holding on to. So Founders has this beer that they've done twice now, and they did the second release a little bit ago. We've aged it for a bit. It's called uh-huh. Founders CBS Canadian Breakfast Stout. They call it mm. Canadian because of there's maple syrup in it. It's a okay. barrel-aged stout, very okay. heavy. It's going to be like you're having a nice maple chocolate syrup in your mouth, and it's absolutely incredible. But I love it. With, not without the sweetness, right? There's... There's, there's gonna a some bit. Sweetness. It's gonna there's, have like a pancakey. Yeah. Like, oh like imagine okay. having like pancakes. a delicious chocolate it's, breakfast. In your uh, yeah. It's going to taste. I think more in line with the pancakes because you're gonna get more of the maple syrup than yeah. anything. Yeah. And you get some of the chocolate darker malts, but you'll give it a little bit of chocolate. But it's For a the most very part. delicious, well-rounded beer. So it's not gonna be overly sweet, but it's definitely on the sweeter side. It's definitely something that mm-hmm. people who tend to like a lot of. Ex- lot of extreme flavors are going to like mm-hmm. and we're gonna have this other beer that i'm maybe even more excited about it's from this brewery called bfm they're out of switzerland and they have this beer called uh abby saint bonchien which is a beer that generally they age in um it's v- cherry barrels or yeah Ooh. i think they blend a couple i know yeah. they've been they've used cherry barrels they've used some ransom spirit barrels uh-huh. but i think it's mostly mm-hmm. like fortified wine barrels and things like that because wow it's a strong sour barley so generally they do it in those barrels but it's been their it's their 20th anniversary so for this specific batch they they brewed it and put it into some bordeaux barrels so it has a lot of dark deep, mm. rich red wine yeah characteristic. And did it. they throw in any fruit i can't remember if they yeah did yeah so this was the one where uh, jerome who was the brewer and owner of uh, bfm he uh used the pomegranates and rhubarb from his backyard what? but that was the square root one right it was both both oh, wow nice. yeah. yeah um so, so that's fabulous so yes yeah. i'm coming to the birthday party i'm mm-hmm. crashing bring so the squad gonna those. we're gonna have some we're gonna go, fresh the squad's hops. gonna come in squad's coming come in squad's definitely i'll gonna make sure to reserve a table and get yes. make sure it's all ready to go yes. it's gonna be a birthday bash mm-hmm. absolutely we yeah. will be there 
And then like we're gonna have we'll probably have a burger special as well. Our burger is oh, very I well received. I think it's yeah. the best I think it's the best thing on the menu. I've had a lot of burgers and of course I've had a lot of burgers. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even eat burgers until I was like twenty two like anymore. Yeah, like, but <laughs> but our burgers, burgers specifically <laughs> I think the, we blend the meat in house, and I think they do a very you good do. job. It's well seasoned. Yeah, yeah, we have our own proprietary blend, and uh, wow, I didn't know it's that. It's very, very good. It's going to be rich. It's basically impossible to not be juicy with how they make it. And oh yeah, fantastic. Bro. Okay, I'm sure so some special associated with my. So you as well. know what my request was, right? Catfish? No. Well, tea. 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 In yes, the winter yes. time. Because that is something we've discussed, we, and it we will come in at some point. We talked about it. I've so, heard it from a lot of people, but <laughs> we're we're beer focused as of yes, now. Yes, I know. Yeah. There's always room to grow. There's always room in the future well, to potentially. Here's add. here's here's my two cent. Okay, okay. We live in New England, right? True. So from January to say March, even though I think this month's an anomaly, yeah, it's, it's really year. cold. Right. Yeah. So as you're sitting there waiting for your food, right, and you want to warm up, can have some tea, and then you have your beer, and then you have your food, and you have another beer. It's a fair idea. I would also counterpoint with this though. You could just have one of those big stouts, <laughs> which will be naturally warming. Yeah, those big boozy stouts. I knew that was going to come <laughs> into. Although we do, I knew that was going to come into it. Responsible drinking <laughs> habits at the beer collector. We want to make sure to mention that as well. Just saying, you could start with a small start bit off of with a stuff. Small, we get smaller pours. True, too. we have we a have great, great bourbon. bourbon <laughs> yes, talk yeah. about that a little bit bourbon before we go. You up. Bourbon yeah. is very warming. Yes, <laughs> yeah. So your bourbon collection. So we wanted to have a lot of spirits that will kind of accentuate our menu. So mm -hmm. we have beer. We, most of our spirits are going to be spirits that were aged in barrels, similar to some of the beers that we like aged in barrels. Yeah, we. And especially like over time as we were building the bar and I was trying to find different tastes that I like, started really getting into bourbon and we wanted a very, very strong bourbon selection. So we probably have, I'm guessing, 30-ish bourbons now. Yeah, I would guess at least 30. And then, I mean, once yeah. you toss in some of the rye and stuff, we have also. Yeah, we have different things. Nice barrel, we have barrel proof, single barrel, barrel. Um, we, we just have a lot of different bourbons. We also have a couple of tequilas. We have some gins. We try to have some spirits. We do have yeah. a vodka yeah. now, which wasn't always the case, but yeah. we, we try to offer vodka for people who just are tagging along, maybe not into beer. And then we do also have a reserve wine list and a wine list that we have recently added. So yeah. we've always had a lot of strong wines that we've had from one of our friends who's as into wine as we are into beer. Uh -huh. And we recently added a lot of bottles that we're selling by the bottles to get very interesting oh, okay. wines you can't get really in many places in, so. in very many places yeah, yeah mm -hmm. and like one of the things i think we focused on with the wines was the the natural wine aspect you know the natural fermentation the open fermentation wild fermentation which is something that we are both very you know into with beer it was mm -hmm. the the wild stuff the stuff that's you know fermented from the wild yeast in the air and that's something we kind of talked about with our, our friend adam bicker who put together the wine list uh, when we were doing that, was you know we we knew a little bit about natural wine. I would say at that point, small uh, bit, yeah, small bit. Uh, yeah. Adam is extremely knowledgeable, so I mean, honestly, he turned us on to natural wine by letting us try some of these weirder, yeah. wilder, funkier wines that I honestly didn't even know wine could taste like. Uh, so yeah. you know, once he kind of got us turned on to those a little bit, you know, it wasn't a hard sell to get us to put yeah, together so a little menu for people. Yeah, we grew with some wines. Um, I'm trying like right now of bourbons that we have. If I had a recommendation, 
We, I'm a big fan of the E.H. Taylor stuff. We have mm-hmm. their rye and their regular mm-hmm. as well. Some of the wine, some of the bourbons that are more popular, the Habiki, yeah, the are doing Suntory really well. The, we have the uh, Habiki um, Harmony, and mm-hmm. we have the Habiki. Um, Lo- the, it's a Harmony blend, and what is it? The Toki Lo- or Toki? Toki. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, what is it? As we wrap up, mm-hmm. what is it that you want the public to know about the Beer Collective? If there's any message that you want to give them, what is it? Uh, I mean, I would kind of just kind of touch on a little bit of, uh, you know, how much we do like to work with the local guys. And, you know, if you're, especially if you're to the area and you want to find a cool bar where you could try anywhere from, I don't know, six to 10, maybe more local Connecticut breweries in one location, you know, come on down. We're always going to have some good IPAs that are local, you know, a few other like little things that are local and some hidden gems. Uh, and I mean, like you said, the food is phenomenal. So, and yeah, like for me, I'd say I wanted to focus on while our food is great, definitely the beer is one is what I'd say, whether you are just getting into beer or you're very Mm -hmm. into beer, Mm -hmm. we have something for you. We are going to have different barrel aged beers that you're not going to find in many places, different breweries that you won't necessarily be able to find at as many places as well. If you're coming in and you're just, you're not even sure how much you truly like beer, We'll guide you along that process. What we ultimately really love about the Beer Collective is we can find someone who is used to just drinking nothing Mm -hmm. but Budweiser, and we can train them and show them, oh, well, this is like Budweiser, but this is going to be a craft version of it. And then they might taste it and be like, wow, this is better than any beer I've ever had. What else do you have? And we want to be able to get those people from those beers to beers that they'll have a new favorite and then a rotating group of favorites. And... We think that we offer a very good environment that we can uniquely provide for that. And we're just really happy to be a part of the New Haven community more than anything. All of that. All of that sounds good. Craig, Tarian, thank you so much for being here today. I'm glad you figured out how to get in the building. Thank you. We we found our way in. There was a couple doors. It was tricky. (laughs) And I'm hungry, so I'm coming over to Beer Collective Like as soon as I hang this mic up. Oh, we're doing the exact same. I think we're going to do the same. (laughs) (laughs) I thank you both for being here on the show today. And thanks for the time. Thanks. Oh, thank you. I learned Mm -hmm. a lot as well. So that was good. You're listening to the show on WNHHLP 103.5 FM, broadcasting live from downtown New Haven. We're streaming to TuneIn Radio and NewHavenIndependent.org. We're also streaming live right now on Facebook. All you have to do is go to facebook.com slash New Haven Independent or just go to your Facebook page and look us up. So, so, cheerio, yell, scream, bravo. Also, if you didn't know, this is called the show.